Welcome to the Classic Kicks Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Santora, and in this episode, we're joined once again by sneaker and sports industry analyst, Matt Powell. Matt, thanks for being here, and let's get right into it. What are the big stories right now in the world of sneakers? Probably the biggest story is the very rapid decline of marquee basketball as fashion. Um, it's, it's really, I have never seen a, a category hit the brakes this hard. Um, uh, outside of maybe toning shoes, which which obviously got way overheated, and uh, but you know, just as an example, the first first half of 2015, uh, marquee performance basketball shoes were trending up in the mid-teens. In the second half of 15, sales were down in the mid-single digits, and for the year so far, they're down almost 20% in 2016. So we went from a category that was just smoking hot. Um, where new, you know, they were constantly bringing out new colorways, and, and and they were introducing new new athletes, whether it was Kyrie or Curry or whatever, and uh, to to a, to a category that just completely hit the brakes. What are some of the stories right now that are maybe kind of flying under the radar that we should be looking out for of, of what's what, what's coming up in the next six months, six to eight months? Well, I honestly think that the fashion cycles today have compressed dramatically. Um, I think that we saw, you know, we, we, we often refer to the seventies as the, the running decade and the, and the eighties as the basketball decade. And, and then fashion cycles seem to last eight years and then five. And, and now I think they're last three. Um, and, and I, I, I blame the internet. I blame millennials for it. I think that, you know, the ability to see what's coming next, um, in some ways, it keeps people excited about a marketplace, but in some ways, I think it makes them lo- insensitive to the next thing that's coming out. I, I have kids who tell me on Twitter, uh, I'm sick of that shoe, and it hasn't even come to retail yet. I'm just sick of seeing pictures of it. And, and I, but I think it sort of backfired on them because now, again, we're, we've seen these shoes for six months, and they're finally at retail, and they already look old. And so, uh, and, and then I just think things are speeding up. Everything is faster today. Uh, there, you know, the, the speed at which I get my, uh, uh, internet, uh, the speed at which I get delivery. Um, you, you really, I'm actually working on a blog on this right now, but, you know, saying vo- velocity is the new normal. I mean, it's just everything is faster. And, and so that including the speed of change and, um, uh, I think the consumer's insatiable demand for something new and fresh uh, is also causing some of these fashion uh, categories to burn out. And, and then I think I'd add on to it that I think, you know, Nike got lazy um, and I think Nike got greedy. Um, and we had iterations of LeBron and KD that really didn't look a whole lot different than the last one, but the price jumped to 10 or 15%. And while I don't think that was the Final factor, I think it may have exacerbated the speed of decline and, and how fast we have moved away from this. Um, but the, it, it really feels like we are, marquee basketball now is not a fashion story. And the fashion story is, is all about retro today and, and lifestyle running or modern comfort running. With the with the Adidas stuff, last time I spoke to you, you were saying, you know, one of the things we were talking about with any of these brands and coming back and creating some buzz is how are you how are you going to scale it and how do you really commercialize it? So has do you think Adidas has a strategy in place now that they know what what they're doing for the next year? I mean, does it look like the pieces are in place for this run to really keep continuing? Uh, I would say yes and no. I don't get to see a lot of 
new product or product that's not at the market yet because they they know I'll talk about it. So they they tend not to show me the uh, the stuff that's not yet available at retail. But brand, brand, retailers are telling me that they feel the product going forward is very strong. Um, I think Adidas had hoped that uh, Gazelle um, was going to take some heat off of uh, of Superstar. That does not seem to have happened yet. Um, uh, we'll we'll see whether as we move into the cooler weather whether people buy a suede shoe or not. Um, um, but but the retail retailers remain very bullish on it. So I I'm going to give you a qualified yes. They figured it out. Um, uh, but not having seen the product, it's a little hard for me to make that judgment. Um, but they've got to keep it fresh. They've got to they've got to move away from Superstar onto something new. That that's a critical pivot. Um, uh, they can't they can't live on Superstar. If we're still talking about Superstar two years from now, that they they are not in a good place. I think they continue to somewhat be held back on on the availability of Boost material. Um, there's only so much of that they can get, I, I guess. Uh, they have, they're still trying to ramp that up. But there's certainly more boosts in the marketplace today. And now we're seeing boost with color. Um, where initially, when it came out, we were told it could only be white. And now uh, we're seeing color boost. And, and they'd have different per- permutations. And then, then they also have this alpha bounce shoe that um, isn't boost, but uh, it's certainly a very nice um, uh, commercialization of that idea. Um, NMD is kind of a phenomenon in itself. Um, but yes, as I understand it, there are updates to, to even to that. So um, I, I hope for their sake that we have a lot of freshness as we, as we move into 17. So let me ask you this question. Who's more, I mean, who's more influential in selling sneakers today, celebrities or athletes and the second part of that is that if there are other factors that are much more important than both of those, what are they that most people seem to be missing? Well, I, I think I think they both have influence. Um, uh, I think you know that the on the athlete side, the numbers are much much greater than any celebrity shoes today. Um, certainly, the celebrities get a lot of mentions, Instagram photos, Snapchat photos, that kind of thing. Um, but when you really look at the volume that's being done, uh, the athlete is still driving the bulk of the business. Um, but I think they're both important. And I, and I think, you know, look, people hate celebrity A and love celebrity B, and the, and the other guy hates is, is the opposite. Uh, I see this a lot in my Twitter feed of people who, who despise one, one celebrity and love another one, and, or vice versa. Uh, so I think there's some, some downside to the celebrity uh, piece of it as well. Um, my sense is that celebrity collaborations are always going to be very limited and much more about hype and buzz and, and really not impact the broader market. Um, whereas athletes, uh, I, I think, are, are always going to speak to the broader market. But athletes are celebrities today. I think that's another important distinction to make. And, and you know, they're not only influencing us now as heroes on the court or on the field. Um, they're clearly influencing us in what they, what they wear beyond just the shoes they're paid to wear. Um, uh, and, and that's having an impact. And now you've got this other really interesting phenomenon of athletes sort of leading the social change that's happening in the country. And, you know, the, the caper next to the world, LeBron coming out and endorsing Hillary Clinton. And, uh, you know, these are really different times for us, both uh, bad on the social side of some of the things that are happening today and good on the, uh, I think, good on the uh, athlete and celebrity side that they're actually taking stands for causes they think are, are important. 
And I mean, it's amazing with social media that it's like you're getting their unfiltered opinions, you know, it's coming straight from them, which is pretty incredible, which I guess makes fans really feel connected to these people that they could reach out to them at any time and hopefully get a response. Yeah, I mean, we saw with Kaepernick, you know, when he first started his protest, and here, here's a backup quarterback. His jersey was the top-selling jersey for a number of weeks. Um, and, you know, some some smart Alex uh, tried to say they were buying him to burn him, and I, uh, that's clearly not the case. They were, they, no one buys a $100 jersey to so burn it. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, people were still clearly showing solidarity with with his position. And, and, and this is a backup quarterback. So, uh, you know, I... I think that the understanding their power today in social media is is really important for uh, for athletes and and I think they're going to help drive the the speed of social change as well. So let let me ask you a question about um you know about about what you do in the data and the numbers. What what information that you provide from your research is most important to CEOs? What what are the CEOs of the retailers and the sneaker companies come to you for as far as like, what do they see as most important is determining the future of their business? Well, I think a couple of things. I, I think that they always want to know what's going to happen next. Uh, they want to be in front of a change. They, you know, they wanted to know about the marquee basketball uh, category hitting the brakes uh, and be able to get out of the way before, uh, before it got really ugly. And, and some were able to do that and some were not. Um, I think they also want to index themselves both against their internal benchmarks of, you know, this is, this is the category we want to drive and, and are we driving it faster than our competition? Um, how do we stack up against our competition? What's our percentage of uh, particular brands penetration? Um, I think there's a lot of benchmarking that's going on today. And, and that doesn't mean every retailer is trying to be the same. Um, I, I, the, the most important benchmarks for them are the internal ones that say, you know, we we feel we're deficient in this category or with this brand. We're making a, an effort to try to um, uh, improve or that business. Um, how are we doing? Are, are we, in fact, improving? Are we growing faster than the marketplace? Um, so uh, there, there's really a lot of really interesting things. And, and then I, I think when we get over to the consumer panel side, sort of many of the ad, ad, attitudinal changes uh, that are happening with, uh, with the consumer are, are really important. Um, I'll give you an example. When, when I joined, when I got into the industry uh, 20 odd years ago, I, I was told that 85% of all athletic shoes were never known for their, were never used for their intended purpose. Um, we actually proved out through the data that the number is 75%. Um, and, you know, we asked consumers, okay, you bought an athletic shoe. Are you, are you going to play sports in it? What's your primary use for this? And most of them said, we're, I'm using it for sportswear. Um, and only 25% of them said they were actually going to use it for sport. Uh, and, and that's an important, that's important learning for the industry because we, we tend to get all tied up in, you know, this is a great performance basketball shoe and you can jump higher and run faster and blah, blah, blah. And what really matters is it doesn't look cool. And do I want to wear it on Saturday night? And, uh, you know, it certainly has to have performance characteristics. I think that gives it authenticity. Um, I think you have to have athletes performing high and a high level in, in brand shoes. But at the end of the day, you have to understand that it's, it's a school shoe. It's a, it's a weekend shoe or it's maybe a work shoe. And, um, uh, that 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 end use is a really critical bit of knowledge. 
So I want to talk a little bit about about the future. Some things you mentioned in our first podcast, and and just a couple general questions. Um, you know, for any of the younger listeners right now that that are tuning in, and and you know, might be in the workforce in the next five to ten years, and are interested in the sneaker industry, what what should they be studying or learning? Like, what what does the sneaker industry? What are they going to need? What types of skills and people in the next five to ten years? What what do you see? Well. I think, first of all, baseline of what I tell everybody is if you want to get into this business, get a job in retail. Um, get out there and meet the consumer where, they, where, where the, the final three feet, understand that transaction, that dynamic, understand how hard retail is. Everybody thinks retail is really easy, right? I get, I get probably two requests a week from guys who say, hey, I got this great idea. I'm going to open a Jordan-only store. How do, I, you know, how do I get it to Jordan? I'm like, There's, you don't have a prayer of doing that, so give it up. Because they, they all think that retail is really easy, and retail is really, really hard. And so I, I think it's a great mental preparation, and I think a great grounding for anybody who wants to be in the sports industry to have worked retail. Probably the most important or the most revolutionary things that are going to happen as, as we go through time is, is really Internet-related kinds of things, whether it's social media um, or um, e-commerce uh, uh, and, and really being able to strategize and uh, measure and, and execute against that business. Um, I, I think there will always will be physical stores. Um, but I think there's going to be a whole lot less of them as we move through time. And, um, and so the ability to be, to be fluent in, in social media, to be fluent in, in e-commerce, um, I, I think are really critical skills today. The, the, the actual manufacturing and design piece of the business is becoming a very, very technical and much less of an art, I think, than it used to be, um, or, or maybe art in a different way. Uh, you know, you look at you look at a product like um, uh, Flyknit as an example. Um, in order to make a shoe with Flyknit, you have to have a computer a computer engineering degree to run the machine that makes that shoe. So instead of paying somebody. Uh, you know, uh, a, a low level labor, um, uh, like we do currently to make our shoes, you're going to be paying something, somebody a quarter of a million dollars to make a pair of shoes. Uh, and he's not going to make just one. He's going to make many, but, but you, you, you have to be able to, to, to have that kind of degree, advanced degree to run those machines. Over time, we are going to see more and more labor taken out of the manufacturing of a shoe, um, and the less labor there is, the, the, the closer it can move to U.S. soil. Um, we already, Audi's already opening up a factory in uh, Atlanta. Uh, Under Armour has a small factory in, um, in Baltimore. Nike says they're going to be opening one soon. And, and, you know, the Audi factory, they claim they're only going to make 50,000 pairs of shoes, which is not, not a lot of shoes for them. They made 300 million pairs last year. So 50,000 pairs is kind of a rounding error. But I think they're going to use this facility to make special limited edition shoes. They may use it to make uh, to, to fill in on a hot item that they can't get from Asia quickly enough. Uh, they may use it to prototype. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, we absolutely are going to be making shoes in the U.S. here in, in the near term. That doesn't mean we'll stop making shoes in Asia, um, but we will be making shoes here. And and really, you know, I see a day uh, where you go into a store and you and you they scan your foot and you make uh, several selections on material, aesthetics, uh, color, 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And in a very short period of time, you'll have a custom-made pair of shoes made exactly to your specifications. Um, now, that shoe is going to be very expensive, $500. Let's put a number on it, okay? So not everybody's going to be able to, to afford that, um, but people who need a special shoe will, will and, and there certainly is a consumer out there who wants to have something that's made just for them and they're willing to pay money for it. And uh, uh, there, there's a market there for sure. But I think there always will be, a, there always will be an off-the-shelf product as well for folks who don't care, uh, who don't have an emotional attachment to their shoe or simply can't afford it. Let me ask you, is there, I mean, I know you're a numbers guy. Is there anything, is there anything that's not represented in numbers that can determine future trends? I mean, what do these guys incorporate anything else? Or I mean, is the numbers really what they're looking at? Well, I, you know, I think I think everything can, everything that's valuable can be measured, and if you can't measure it, it probably it probably doesn't exist. Um, we have so many tools at our fingertips today with big data and, and the mass of computers and, and and all the ways we can cut cut information. And it seems to me that if we can't measure it, it probably is not real. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's you're, you're sitting there staring at a spreadsheet all day. I, you know, I spend a lot of time out at retail. I spend a lot of time looking at what people are wearing and how they're putting it together. Um, I, I obviously get into long, shall we call it long discourse on Twitter, um, with people about, about topics. And, and so I, you know, you're, you're always learning. Uh, this is not a, this is not strictly a numbers game. It, it's also part of how you connect the dots that are out there and, and, and how you see through the clutter, um, and the noise. And there's a lot of clutter and noise today. Um, but, you know, people talk about halo effect. Well, I, I, I've never been able to measure that. So I, I don't really know what that means. But um, uh, but, but that, that doesn't mean there's not a softer side to uh, to the analysis for sure. I've noticed um, just looking at following my social media feeds, I've noticed that a lot of these boutiques seem to be expanding primarily in Europe lately. Sneakers and stuff has a handful of stores. Um, Pata just opened another one in London. I mean, what what does the future hold for these boutiques? I mean, there's still a place for them, I guess, if they're expanding currently. It seemed like there was a big lull for a few years, but now it's it's spiking back up. Is what is your take on that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think you know the the special kinds of stores, um, the the really unique stores, the bodegas, the you know the packers, the concepts. Um, of the world, uh, there's a there's a real need for for those kinds of stores out there today, as as statement kinds of retailers. They they, they do some nice business, don't? But it's it, they're not um, they're not going to break the bank. Um, they're not going to put Phil Locker out of business by any means. But um, I, I think that conceptually, there's a need for them. I think brands want to be in in that kind of exclusive environment. Um, but but I also think the brand's uh, ultimate end game is is their own stores and their own and their own e-commerce and so I, I I almost see them pulling back a little bit from supporting a lot of the of um, what they're now calling city specialists we used to call urban specialists that, that, that there isn't there isn't that sort of driving push to the business that there might have been five years ago I think they've they started to mellow on that a little bit but but the real point is that guys at the at the end of the point like bodega um, uh, or, or 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 concepts or I, I think they're going to continue to be supported 
Well, I was going to ask you, you know, you have companies like, say, Brooks or, or Asics that do great business in technical running shoes. I mean, what are they really trying to accomplish doing these small small runs of the of the retro stuff and putting them in the boutiques? I mean, what's the overall strategy with that? Well, I think it's twofold. I think, one, they know there's a business out there in retro, and so they're trying to create some buzz and hype around their retro product uh, to get a larger swath of that business. Much of the retro um, business today is still isolated with Nike and Adidas. Um, and, and so they're trying to get a foothold there. Um, and I also think that they recognize that even if you're a technical brand, there's a, there's a cool factor that goes with every brand that it is a fashion business. And, and if I can generate a, a little bit of cool, um, around a collaboration, if it brings me one more, uh, runner who might've been running in a different brand that, uh, that's, there's upside for them. Now we were, we were in a period that ended at the end of 13, where technical running shoes were fashion shoes, right? And we, you know, you ended up with the, you know, the ASIC gel noose where the right shoe didn't even match the left shoe. We got out to such an extreme and, and but that business blew up. But, you know, if, if I'm right about the fashion cycles um, going to three years, it's about time for performance running to, as fashion to make a return. So, and, and maybe it goes back to what I talked about earlier, this mashup of uh, uh, retro upper on performance outsole. Just as far as reselling um, and these resellers, I mean, I know you don't analyze the resale numbers, but do any of these companies, I mean, do these companies pay attention to the resale numbers to when it comes to influencing what they're doing in the future? Well, I think they look at it as, uh, first of all, I think they look at it with a grain of salt, but I think they do look at it and say, um, you know, it's a, the consumer's telling us that they want more of this kind of product and, and, and less of another. But I don't, I don't really talk to anybody who is spending a lot of time um, uh, studying the resale market in detail to try to figure out what, what, what their next brand strategy ought to be. And, and, I, and I also think you saw a concerted effort on the part of Nike to figure out how to break the resale market a little bit. They put more allocation of Jordan product in the marketplace um, they, uh, you know, they, they've got it made it harder to, um, uh, game the, uh, whether it's by bots or whatever, to, in terms of buying shoes, uh, I think you're going to see Nike plus get turned up even more, um, as, uh, getting plus users, getting, um, uh, preferential treatment in, in buying, um, uh, limited edition products. And I, and I think all of that is, is to some degree an attempt to break the resale market, because I think they feel like their customers are getting gouged. Um, and the true, the true people who really love the brand and want the shoes because they, they love the shoes can't get them because some flipper got in front of them and, and then, and tripled the price. Um, and, uh, right. Absolutely. does. I have so many people who tell me on, on Twitter, how frustrated they are that they can't, get the shoes they really, really wanted. Um, and it's partly because there are flippers in the, in the marketplace who are all, all they're trying to do is step on the price. And, and uh, I, I think Nike feels that's not fair to their loyalist consumers. So I think you'll see a switch out um, over time or, or at least a shift away from uh, making it easy for the flippers to get the product. Well, Matt, thanks again for joining us. Your insight into the sneaker industry is always appreciated. Excellent. That was great. It's always great to do this. Um, uh, happy to come on anytime. For our listeners out there, if you want to follow Matt Powell on Twitter, you can find him at 
NPD Matt Powell. And thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.